and excited journalist described this actress as, quote, the best-known woman who has ever lived, known to more people and loved by more people than any other woman in all history. And it wasn't really an exaggeration. But if that's true, why don't you know anything about her? This is no flame out, no fad, no flash in the pan. This is the Forgotten Famous. Here's your host, Matt Mitchell. In 1976, legendary song and dance man Gene Kelly walked on stage at the Oscars to introduce the recipient of an honorary Academy Award. For more than three generations of moviegoers, this is the face of the most popular woman in the world. The face Kelly was referring to belonged to Mary Pickford. But unlike Kelly, who received his own honorary Oscar years earlier, Pickford didn't need it. She'd already claimed an Oscar, a real one, almost 50 years earlier. The second ever Best Actress Award. Although some joked it was really just their first Lifetime Achievement Award, with the Academy eagerly rewarding one of its founding members. But Pickford, born Gladys Louise Smith, was more than just an old actress. She was a titan, a famously relentless force of nature who parlayed a dirt-poor upbringing in Canada and the birth name of a lunch lady into arguably the most popular, influential Hollywood career anybody, man or woman, has ever known. She started in theater as a seven-year-old, and by 1909, at just 17, she crossed paths with D.W. Griffith, who later directed the most innovative, highest-grossing, and probably most racist film of the silent movie era, The Birth of a Nation. Pickford had this spellbinding, innocent look and beautiful curled hair, and Griffith knew a star when he saw one. She became an audience favorite right away, and in their first year together, they cranked out 42 films. Within seven years, Pickford had blown up. She was one of the first stars of any medium to understand, embrace, and really control a public persona. In a lot of ways, she charted the course for how America defines a superstar. In an era when it was unheard of for a silent movie to even list actors by name, popular demand for her movies not only forced them to identify her, she received the name above the title treatment that Hollywood A-listers have fought for ever since. By age 24, she was the most famous woman in America, and with movies exploding worldwide, probably the most famous woman on Earth. Only her friend Charlie Chaplin even rivaled her popularity. Our old friend institutionalized sexism was pretty well established across the board at the time. The 19th Amendment, giving women the vote, wouldn't be ratified for another four years. But Pickford, with just a few months of formal education in her entire life, was a monster at the negotiating table. At an age when I didn't even have a credit card, she demanded and received full creative control over her films, got herself 10 grand a week, which is a lot of money even today, plus half of her film's profit, with a minimum guarantee making her the first actor ever to earn a million dollars a year. A million bucks a year in a time when a loaf of bread cost seven cents. Mary Pickford was killing it. To paraphrase Aretha Franklin and Annie Lennox, this sister was doing it for herself. 
Pickford was a visionary, and she really knew how to manage her brand before people said nonsense like that. She formed her own production company and used both major media of her day to perfectly manicure her image. On top of her movie roles, she wrote, or probably hired someone skilled to ghostwrite, a nationally syndicated column that ran five days a week for three years. She got a lot of fan mail, so she finished each column by answering some of these letters, a lot of which were about beauty tips. Dear Helen, there are many freckle lotions on the market now, but the experience of those who use them is that they afford only a temporary banishment. The reason your eyes photographed badly is because you lined the lower lid with black grease paint. It always makes the eyes stand out, staring and unnatural. Above all things, do not put anything in your eyes to make the pupils larger. Pickford gained all her fame, despite constantly fighting the man. At the time, the major film studios controlled everything. They had the writers, directors, producers, actors, theaters, even the film labs. But at just 27, she teamed up with a few powerful friends to start one of the most enduring distribution companies of all time, United Artists. Meet the royal family of the movies. Fairbanks, Pickford, Chaplin, and D.W. Griffith, the famous director, signing on the dotted line. A quartet that will always hold a high place in Screenland's Hall of Fame. In forming this company, she got independent movie producers access to theaters nationwide for the very first time, a concept that was pretty revolutionary. And there was nothing the studios could do because they had the fans on their side. Everybody liked Chaplin. Pickford earned the original title of America's Sweetheart for very good reason. And Fairbanks, oh, well, I'll, I'll just say it. 1920, 1820, 2020, in any era, Doug Fairbanks would have been the sexiest dude around. Beyond his movies, you could see it even in newsreels. He had a great tan, he oozed charisma, and everything he did had like a swashbuckling flair that made him impossible not to like. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so for pretty much every other famous person ever, this is right where their fame would plateau right here at Most Famous Woman Alive. But the very next year, Pickford blazed a trail that brought her to a whole new level of fame, a level of fame that bordered on a global hysteria. She married Douglas Fairbanks. Two of the most beloved humans on planet Earth had united. America's first celebrity couple ever was born, and Hollywood royalty was officially a thing. And the craziest part? Both had to divorce their spouses to marry each other. In 1920, less than 1% of all marriages ended in divorce, and the stigma on divorced women in particular was very real. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. That's how much the entire world loved these two. Let me give you an idea of just how popular their marriage was using four facts about their European honeymoon. Number one. When they get to England, a crowd so enormous surrounds their hotel that the royal limousine gets stuck in gridlock for half an hour. Ghastly. King George VI, the stuttering guy from the King's Speech, stuck in traffic like a regular blue-collar uh, bloke or whatever. Number two. When Pickford and Fairbanks went to see a play that night, it was stopped in the middle so they could receive a 10-minute standing ovation. 
Number three. In Paris, crowds were so insane, locals compared it to the storming of the Bastille. And at one point, Pickford had to hide in a butcher's meat locker for safety. Number four. The New York Times described their arrival at a garden party as besieged by all sides. And the crowd actually tried to physically pull Pickford out of her car before Fairbanks grabbed his new bride by the legs and dragged her back inside. Back in America, every organization wanted the couple's attention, and the spotlight stays right on them. They were the first celebrities invited to press their handprints into the cement outside the new Grauman's Chinese Theater, and it's been a Hollywood rite of passage ever since. They also mastered the art of the charitable photo op, like pretending to box with some Boy Scouts. Early work of scouts attracted many celebrities to the cause. Mary Pickford watches as husband Douglas Fairbanks goes few friendly rounds with scout making like the popular Manasseh Muller. It's fast and too furious for Doug. I think we've established at this point that our girl Mary here was pretty famous, but she couldn't be Hollywood royalty without her own castle. So Fairbanks went and bought her one. And like Brangelina and other terrible celebrity nicknames to come, the press nicknamed the estate Pickfair. After five years of renovation, an old hunting lodge transformed into one of the most famous private residences in the entire world. And this place was huge! huge. Sitting on 18 acres of Beverly Hills. For those scoring at home, the Playboy Mansion, one mile south, sits on five acres. This place had all the stuff rich people were supposed to have. Rare paintings and priceless antiquities from their world travels. It had a mahogany bar taken from a real Western saloon. It had tennis courts, a screening room, living quarters for their huge team of servants. But most dazzling of all, it had the first private in-ground swimming pool in all of Los Angeles. And this pool was also huge. A picture of the couple in there, sitting in a canoe, became so iconic it was turned into a postcard people bought when they visited California. You know, Yosemite National Park, the Hollywood sign, Mary's Pool, important landmarks. Here's Gene Kelly again from 76. You know, Will Rogers once said that his biggest job as mayor of Beverly Hills was to direct tourists to Mary Pickford's house. Getting an invite to Pickfair was a really, really big deal. Their guest list was a who's who of 20th century America. Einstein, Amelia Earhart, H.G. Wells, Babe Ruth. Foreign royalty visiting the White House, almost 3,000 miles away, would ask if maybe Mary and Doug would want to have them over? And they did. The King and Queen of Siam, the Crown Prince of Japan, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. This house was so fancy, the world's fanciest people wanted to see it. But times were changing. In 1928, Pickford cut her famous curls into a fashionable bob, a move so shocking it made the cover of the New York Times. More shocking to old Hollywood, though, was the introduction of sound, and silent movies gave way to talking pictures. This was not welcome news to Pickford, but she changed with the times, just like her hair. Yes, it won't have to, I reckon. So her first talkie was coquette. Incredibly, she chose a lead with a southern accent and more or less gets it right. 
Thinking about the number of modern actors who've slogged through a Southern accent, Jude Law, Alec Baldwin, Tom Hanks, that's pretty impressive. And you'd assume a movie that's almost 90 years old would be totally outdated and super boring, but it's actually not a bad movie. In fact, the plot's pretty modern. Here it is. A woman falls for a guy her dad doesn't like, and her dad ends up killing the guy during an argument. Now the woman's got to choose. Does she stay faithful or does she lie to protect her dad? And at the trial, she's grilled as to whether a sexual assault took place or whether she just made up the whole thing. Did Michael Jeffrey make love to you there? Yes. Did you resist him? Yes. But he forced his attentions? Yes. And you could not resist his lovemaking? Yes. Then he did what would justify any father in killing him. Yes. I object. Huh. How topical. Although Pickford would win her Oscar for that role, her star was fading as an actor. Her marriage to Fairbanks started fraying, too. They'd separate before finalizing a divorce both seemed to regret, and Fairbanks would die suddenly of a heart attack just three years later. She'd remain a powerful producer, co-founding the Society of Independent Motion Picture Producers. They'd go on to sue Paramount and score a landmark Supreme Court decision that ended the studio system she'd fought against her whole career. She married one last time to actor Buddy Rogers, but wanted nothing to do with the spotlight she dominated her whole life, and she was rarely seen for decades. Sometimes she would only speak to Pickfair guests by phone from her bedroom. But Mary was a native of Toronto and had a soft spot for Canadians. So in 1959, she granted a very rare radio interview to the CBC, and despite a reputation as kind of a boozy recluse, she totally turned on the charm. It definitely doesn't sound like this interview took place 50 years ago either. She complains about the L.A. smog. She says good TV will be the death of pricey movie theaters. And at the end, the host praises her considerable charitable work. You said the world's been wonderful to me. People have been wonderful to me. The least I can do is to try to pay back any way I can. England is my grandmother. Canada is my mother. And the United States is my husband. And what a marriage it was. This is The Forgotten Famous. I'm Matt Mitchell. Thanks for listening. And I'll never forget you. <laughs>